0: To live deliciously. Welcome
1: to the Sunday Movie Marathon. <laughs> did you hear that? <laughs> I did, but I have no <laughs> clue what it was. I'm not really sure I want to know. You, do,
2: you, do, you don't know what that is? <laughs> I don't recognise it. What? It was from The Witch?
1: Fair enough. You know The Witch, right? I do. What? I've not seen it in a while, to be fair. That's such a fantastic movie. Yeah, it's a great film.
2: And a debut too. Who'd have guessed it? Anyway, episode 40. It's the Sunday Movie Marathon. We're here. Uh, We don't have Darcy today. Uh, Work schedule conflict. Can't be avoided. But uh, she's here with us in spirit and I think she'll be in, in the edit. giving yeah. her thoughts.
1: Yeah, she sent some voice clips earlier today. Nice. That's what we'd like to hear.
2: How you doing, Chris?
1: Yeah, not bad. Still waiting for the new Kanye album. Seven hours <laughs> late. Don't Something think it's else. coming out. Maybe not. This isn't the That's first time either. he's done this. To be fair, like I no. think Jesus King came out like two hours before the next day, so it was like just before the end of the day. it was supposed to come out. It finally came out. So who knows? Pretty typical. Yeah, <laughs> I'd rather it be late than it be released unfinished, like
0: with Life of Pablo. Hmm. Yeah. Sure. Well. How are you doing now? I'm, I'm all
2: right. I'm a bit pissed off, but we'll get into it. Uh, we're going to talk about some movies today. We've got the Alfonso Cuaron movies that we're doing. Uh, so we did. What? We what, what, we got together. Darcy was there. Uh, we watched. What did we watch, Chris? It
1: says why two Mama Cambien, Children and Men, and Roma. Yeah. We all picked a film yeah. each. Darcy picked Y2 Mama Tambien literally just because she had no clue what to pick. She just picked a random film.
2: Mm hmm. You sure it's Y2 or is it Itu?
1: Yeah, probably. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. So we're going to get on to them in a bit. First, I uh, think we both want to talk about something, uh, a couple of things. Um, I wanted to talk about what has recently pissed me off, and that is uh, the new David Lowry movie. The Green Knight has been pulled from its scheduled sixth of August slot in a UK cinemas. Uh, like just when was this? Yesterday it was announced. Yeah. From when we were recording. Oh my god.
1: <laughs> what, yeah, just like, what are they thinking? Two weeks before it's supposed to come out, they just decided. You know what? Maybe not.
2: I'm so mad. I'm so upset. I've been looking forward to this movie for so long. I loved the uh, director's previous movie, A Ghost Story. It's one of my favourite movies ever. So, naturally, I'm going to be excited for whatever he does next. And this is like A24 uh, their like, top slated movie at of the, of the moment. I tried to look online on like Twitter accounts. I tried to see who was involved with the movie and what they've said about it. Nothing. David Lowry is not on Twitter. Uh, Dev Patel, the lead actor, is not on Twitter. Alicia Vikander, I don't think she is on Twitter. Joel Edgerton hasn't posted anything since like February, so he's nothing. Uh, he's he's nothing. He, he hasn't said anything. And A24 have said absolutely nothing about it. If anything, they've just been continuing to promote the movie, which annoys me very much that they've not said anything about it. But it's definitely real, and it's definitely... We're not getting it anymore. It was due for like in two weeks, <laughs> what was it?
1: What are they yeah. thinking? So, um, in the UK, it's been distributed by Entertainment Film, and they've actually come out, I think today, and said that it's because of um how many like cases there are at the moment, because there's like a huge surge in COVID cases at the moment, and they're kind of worried about putting a new movie out just yet just in case people don't go and watch it
2: there was a rumor that it was because a streamer had perhaps brought the rights to distribution of course this was just a rumor um but it does seem likely that it's because of the rising COVID cases i, I understand
1: and the fact that we're like in the middle of a massive heat wave and normally when we're in like in a heat wave people don't go to the cinema so i can't imagine that helps but still, like two weeks before is just a bit shit.
2: It's a bit of a piss take. And I mean, that's their prerogative. They have the rights to distribution. Like, obviously, they're allowed to do it. I just think, why now? And, you know, with all these COVID cases on the rise, I think it's pretty strange that this, like, the irony is that it happens, like, after the UK have had their quote unquote Freedom Day. Like, we don't have to wear masks anymore. We don't have to social distance now, uh, but like, the cases are still on the rise. And like even with like the Olympics coming up, we're still competing in the Olympics. The, I, it's like like it's pretty broad to like say, oh, you could compete at the Olympics, but you can't release the Green Knight. It's like okay, but that's it's true though. And I think maybe it does come down to just. The decision of the distributor, I think, comes down to entertainment film.
1: Yeah. I guess at the end of the day, where things are rising, although we are free to do whatever we want, pretty much, I feel like a lot of people are probably too afraid to go outside and want to stay indoors because they don't want to catch it, as ironic as that may be. So I kind of get why they've delayed it, but I do think doing it this close to when it's coming out is a bit of a piss take. Like, if it was coming out in, like, two or three months or something, and they, like, Mm -hmm. just decided to push it back, then that would make sense. But, like, completely removing its release date entirely and, like, not really saying anything about it, just, don't know. It seems a bit shit.
2: We're all in the dark about this, and we don't know when it's going to come out now. We don't even know if it will get a cinematic run. It's looking not likely. Probably just be dumped on streaming. Which is a damn shame, and I mean, it's like this big epic, right? I mean, it's like based on the Arthurian legend. This is the kind of thing you want to see in the cinema. So it just it gets me. It gets to me a lot, I think, and especially because they're so unclear with what's actually being done with it. We don't know if it's going on streaming. We don't know really what when we're going to be able to see it in the UK. It's just. Uh, Especially, like, the US still gets to see it, so, like, what well, it'll be, like, 2022 and we still haven't seen it, but everybody else has. It's it's aggravating.
1: Yeah, it's going to be especially annoying if, like, um, by the time we eventually get it, it's, like, come out everywhere else and it's, like, out on Blu-ray in America. Because that seems to happen a lot at the moment. Films will get delayed here, but in America, they get it. And they come out on like Blu-ray and streaming and stuff before we even get a chance to see it. That's happened with so many films recently.
2: Yeah, sometimes they'll just crop up on like the uh, Blu-ray shelf of HMV. You go and you're like, well, didn't see that? Go into the cinema because it never did. Like Minari was like that. We didn't get like a cinematic run of Minari around where we live. Uh, Chaos Walking as much as like, I mean, I, I know consensus on that is that it's not the best, but I would have at least like the option to see it in the cinema. Yeah, I would exactly. have at least like the option to, you know, even like Waves, which we talked about on the podcast, that was distributed by A24, and we still can't buy
1: that on Blu-ray in the UK, can we? I don't think so. No, it got like a very limited run. I think locally it played at um, our Art House Cinema number 6, and also I think Vue showed it like once, but it's not out on DVD <laughs> or Blu-ray. You can buy it on like Amazon Prime Video, Um, Mm. and I think it might be on Now TV or something like that, but I could be wrong. I know there's definitely ways to watch it, but there's not any way to own it like a physical copy of it, which is a shame. It's a big gripe
2: I have with the industry. I think we need better distribution, especially in the UK, because... we we are just seeing like America get all these all these movies first and it's it's quite upsetting when you want to be in on the conversation or like you've been waiting for a movie for a while. I've been waiting for the Green Knight for a very long time. It was scheduled to release originally like last spring in twenty twenty. It's been pulled back and now it's we literally have no idea what's happening with it. I just think (laughs) <laughs> like like this, the problem i have with it is that there's no like solution in my mind i can't talk to like the distributors i can't like i'm powerless to see this movie i want to see it so much um because i believe that it's going to be really good it's i think it's been getting very good reception uh but i ooh, i can't see it how how would i know how would i know if it's any good so I I, I don't really have like a conclusion to this because there's not really it's it's very open-ended and it's very, very it's much broader in terms of like the the scale of the how we get to see movies and I just think yeah they should just pull their thumbs out of their ass and just give it to us but it's I'm willing to bet it's not that simple, and also, I just I have no real knowledge of the inner workings of distribution, movie distribution.
1: Yeah, I'd be interested to know if there is like a actual reason why like films are still released in different countries at different points. Like I know back in the day, it was because like the first country would kind of be like a gauge of how big to make the release in other countries and also whether they felt like it needed to be like edited down or anything for other territories like that happened with The Shining I think in America it got a widespread release and like there was a lot of complaints about it being too long so they cut it down for the rest of the world Um, but that doesn't really happen nowadays so I don't know if There's like a reason why. There's still like a staggered release with a lot of films, but yeah, not part of the industry, so I wouldn't know these things.
2: No, be interesting to know. Interesting to know why we get, you know, the Fast and Furious 9 and the the Cruellas of the world, but we don't get these like actual like decent good movies. It's a shame. Yeah. (laughs) So that's that on that. I just kind of wanted to put it out there. I just wanted to talk about it. Like word of mouth out there, like I mean, we're a pretty small podcast, but I think the the more eyes on this, the better. I think. Yeah. Uh, so that's that. <laughs> anyway, Space Jam two. <laughs> yeah,
1: the big new release of the week. You saw Space it, Space Jam: A New Legacy. I did see it. Me and Darcy watched it. Um, obviously, the original Space Jam is an epic movie. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> is yeah. it?
2: I don't know. People have a lot of nostalgia for it. I think I only watched it like, for the first time a couple of years ago and I didn't like it. So I don't, like, I have no desire to see this Space Jam 2. Yeah. But what did you think of it?
1: <laughs> well, it was something, all right. Um, yeah, the first one I loved as a kid, but I rewatched it last year and it really sucked. Like, it was actually painfully bad. And um, I kind of watched this one because I was expecting it to just be a massive meme. Like, I was hoping it would be hilariously bad. And in points, it definitely was really funny. Um, but the majority of it was just really, really dull. It's like an almost two-hour movie. doesn't need to be that long at all. None of it really works at all. Like, the plot is like LeBron and his son um they get like sucked into this digital virtual space or something which is like meant to be warner brothers like computer system or something that has like all the copies of their big properties inside it and um there's like um don cheadle plays a villain who's like a a computer generated person called G rhythm oh yeah creative name <laughs> and he's for some reason he's like. um to get your son back, we're going to have to play a game of basketball. So he's got like his own squad called Dagoon Squad, which is like oh, all yeah. these weird created villains. And LeBron has to like go through the like universe or something and try and find players for his team but like in the trailer they hype out that he's going to go through like all these warner brothers properties and get all these like famous characters onto his team and he like says that for like one scene he's like yeah there's us like list all the warner brothers characters we can have on our team and <laughs> um, bugs bunny's there and he's like no we don't need to do that we'll just use my friends so they go through all these different warner brothers films for some reason to get the looney tunes characters out of it because for some reason the Looney Tunes characters have been taken out of the Looney Tunes world and been placed in loads of other Warner Brothers properties and like by placed in I mean they literally have been like, taken like the Matrix, Casablanca, Austin Powers, um Mad Max Fury Road they've ah. literally just like spliced Looney Tunes characters over the footage from those movies um Luckily, wow. that only takes up about 10 minutes of the film because otherwise it would have been like unbearable. Um, so yeah, then they just play basketball for like an hour. It's, it's unnecessarily long, it's very boring, not very funny at all. But at least it had Big Chungus and Rick and Morty. <laughs>
2: and Rick and Morty, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> so during this, about?
1: during this, um, montage sequence where they're going through all these different movies, Rick and Morty show up with, um, the Tasmanian devil and they're like, We've done loads of experiments on the your friend, we don't want him anymore. And then they just fly away.
2: Oh, okay. That's like <laughs> yeah. that sounds like, like when I heard about
1: Ready Player One, that's what that sounds like. Yeah, this kind of is like Ready Player One. But uh, <laughs> during the big um during the big basketball sequence, all the Warner Brothers characters come to watch um LeBron's team and the Toon Squad beat the Goon Squad. So you got, like, the Iron Giant, the characters from Clockwork Orange. um, What? Penguin from Batman Returns, like the Danny DeVito penguin, he's chilling there. Like, every single shot, you just see a different Warner Brothers character just chilling on the side watching this basketball game.
2: I think I remember that from, like, the trailers. I was like, why are the guys from Clockwork Orange in this?
1: (laughs) Yeah. You literally see him in one shot, but still, it's pretty bad.
2: What did you mean by Big Chungus was there
1: what? <laughs> yeah, so you know the Big Chungus meme. Oh, of course. Yeah. There's the first scene you see um, Bugs Bunny in it, he turns into Big Chungus for like two seconds. Oh my god. Oh, I actually think I saw a
2: video of that and then like someone paused it. <laughs> uh, what are they doing? This is all yeah. the cinema
1: is now. This is this is uh, the weird thing about this film is so much of it feels like it's a statement against how manufactured and like controlled um, film studios are. Like the fact that you can have like an algorithm and computers to just basically create content. But at the same time, it feels like it's exactly what it's trying to satirize. So it just feels very confused. And I I don't know who this film's for because it, it seems too childish to be for adults, but there's so many references to adult content that like none of the kids are gonna understand this. None of the kids are gonna like watch them go into Casablanca and go, Oh shit, I loved that movie. Like it's just not yeah. a kid's movie. Like I don't know who this film was for. And I don't think anyone who loved the original is gonna enjoy this either. Cause like it's just really cringy. I don't think these movies are for anyone,
2: truth be told. I think that it's a it's a product of the the way cinema is now, where everything has to be remade, everything has to have a sequel, it's that kind of culture that we're in in terms of cinema right now, it's the big thing now. Along with like superhero movies, we've also got just remakes and reboots. Um You've seen it everywhere. I don't think these movies are for anyone. I just think they—they they go, oh, we could do like a sequel to this thing that was popular back in the day, Why, why not? And they put it into the algorithm, and it shits out a story, and then they—they they make it.
1: Yeah, it feels very, very manufactured. It's just—it's such a terrible movie. I actually was kind of in shock at how just bland it was. Like, I was expecting it would be embarrassingly bad and I thought that was going to be really funny. But it was just just awkward. There's like there are definitely cringy moments like the Rick and Morty reference. Like when they're going through all these different films. There's a bit where um um Porky Pig raps and they call him notorious P.I.G. Oh yeah. That's uh, was a big clip and that was really cringy. There's also a <laughs> joke where obviously Michael Jordan is the main character of the original movie and there's a scene where they leave and um, daffy duck runs in he goes don't worry guys i've saved the day i found michael jordan and michael b jordan the actor walks in oh wow and he's just like wow. no I'm, I'm michael b jordan that's the whole joke and it goes on for way too long and it's really awful there's plenty of shit like that throughout
2: yeah it's about what i'd expect i know you did send that a. Uh- that video of Porky Pig in the in the chat. I like to like five seconds of it in and I was like, I can't do this. I <laughs> to yeah. turn it off.
1: I was kind of just in shock when that happened. Like in the film. Cause I, I didn't actually watch the clip when I sent it. I just like <laughs> I think I had the audio muted and I saw what was happening. I was like, you guys will love this.
2: <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I was like at work out on the toilet. And I was like, I'll watch this. <laughs> I turned it off. couldn't do it. yeah, I, I don't know. I don't like space jam, so I'm not going to see it. There's like B- he, it's a huge movie, obviously, because everyone loves space jams. Big billboard posters up on buses around the city. People know about this movie. <laughs> Was there, like the theater
1: no, did you see it in the theater? Um, I'm not going to lie. We um, watched it <laughs> online That's through <laughs> some questionable means. Yeah. Because in, uh, in America, it's available on um, HBO Max for free. Yeah, I think anybody should be like forced to go to the cinema to watch Space Jam 2. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it came out a week ago on a $150 million budget. It's made back $53 million so far. That oh, could gosh. be because it's on HBO Max in America, so people are just watching it for free. Or it could just yeah. be that no one gives a shit. Do you think they expected to make a lot of money back? Probably. I don't know. The thing is, I think is, they probably did. HBO Max, normally, the way it works is they have like an ad free plan, which is like a couple pounds a month or something. And, um, or they have like a, no, they have like an ad plan where it's like free, I think, and then an ad free plan. I'm pretty sure it's just available for everyone on there, which normally their new releases aren't. Yeah.
2: Whew. I guess they dropped the ball. weren't uh, I mean no who who's I don't know anyone who's like really excited to see Space Jam 2. Nobody yeah. I know has talked about it. So
1: apparently in its opening weekend 2.1 people watched 2.1 million people watched it on HBO Max. So it's not even like massive numbers. No. I mean it sounds about
2: right. Just maybe you see it's on there, you chuck it on for for a bit.
1: Is it like as short as the first one? No. Oh. No, it's um half an hour longer almost. Oof. So the first Bloody one's eighty eight minutes and the second one's hundred and fifteen minutes. Even the first one
2: I found like kind of insufferable and I wanted it to end. <laughs> so I can't imagine.
1: Yeah. That was kind of how I felt with the second one. Oh well.
2: That's that. Space Jam two yeah. probably wasn't a good idea, but they're gonna make twenty more space jams probably or i don't know like probably not (laughs) no no, probably not but like it will be something within this kind of vein it's like what's the next popular property that we can milk dry
1: well we've just had tom and jerry which i think is also warner Brothers. yeah i think yeah they're doing a lot of weird stuff with their movies man
2: yeah we had scoops last year yeah, they're on it. Clearly, we'll probably have a new Flintstones movie soon. I'd I'd never watched the Flintstones, so I won't be going to see that either. I'm just—it's not—I'm not here for it, man. I'm not here for this like bastardization of classic cinema. I mean, as much as I don't like Space Jam, it meant a lot to people, I guess. It's like a product of that era. So it, people are just obsessed with like yeah. eras that are no longer are. I mean, I, yeah. I don't know. Like we're still getting like really good movies, but. There's just just this that drags it along as well.
1: I think this film is very much a product of the current era of film and where it's at. Like banking on nostalgia, like the whole film is just nostalgia baiting, just like Ready Ready Player One was. Like um, all the films they go back to, apart from Casablanca, which is like the weirdest film for them to go back to. All of the films they go back to are like famous films from like the nineties. Except for like Mad Max, which is like more of a newer property, but even still, like they're going back to like '90s movies that people who probably loved the original Space Jam would be watching. This would recognize, and that seems to be all this film exists to do is to make people go, "Oh, I I remember that property." And it's just it's embarrassing that this is just where cinema is nowadays.
2: Yeah, at least like Mad Max Fury Road or like I think of like Blade Runner 2049, they're actually like fantastic movies.
1: Yeah. Like,
2: get someone who cares about it if you have to do it. Just get someone to direct and or like write it who actually cares. Don't just shit it out because you feel like you have a mandate. It's boring. Yeah.
1: That's why I'm hopeful for this upcoming Scarface remake by Luca Guadagnino and um, the Coen brothers. I feel like that could actually be interesting because they seem like people who wouldn't just make it for the sake of it they seem like people who would only make it if they had a good idea
2: yeah that sounds like something that's going to be actually awesome i do trust guadagnino and i, I do really like the cohen's as well he did um uh luca did a suspirio remake which was fantastic so
0: yeah no quite in the that, original i'm sure
2: <laughs> yeah no doubt <laughs> yeah uh I have, yeah, I have no doubt he's going to make something really good so you want to give like a rating if you want for like Space Jam 2
1: yeah I'll give it a 1 out of 10 <laughs> that's bad than, yeah I think um, on Letterboxd I gave the first one a 1 star so this is like half a star so it's even worse <laughs> if you didn't like the first one then don't even bother no if you oh, did I- like the first film, I wouldn't bother to be fair <laughs>
2: Just to have your dreams crushed. Yeah. yeah, these things never really work out.
1: If liked you like the Looney Tunes, just watch the old Looney Tunes cartoons instead, because that was kind of what I wanted to do. The entire film. I even would have preferred that that film Looney Tunes back in action, and that film wasn't very good either. <laughs> yeah, same with
2: like Tom and Jerry. You watch those like shorts that they did back in the like fifties and forties, or thirties. Like they actually hold up they're really yeah. good television I mean they're for kids but you take it as that and they are they are decent actually made by people who care about what they're making
1: uh, not like anyway. the people who work on Tom and Jerry nowadays who made Tom and Jerry meets Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory Wait, what what <laughs> yeah there's a film um, it's like I think it's called Tom and Jerry meet Willy Wonka or something, where it's literally just the plot for the original Willy Wonka film, except Tom and Jerry are there. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you.
2: <laughs> I don't even think, like, Hanna-Barbera. Is Hanna-Barbera still alive? <laughs> even? I'm sure he's dead. Yeah. He on.
1: Yeah, he is dead. I remember when I used to watch um, Cartoon Network as a kid, there was a tribute to him one day. Yeah, I
2: was. You searched up Hanna Barbera, and I was like, "Wait, those are two different people." I'm sorry, because <laughs> you always see like Hanna Barbera as their name at the uh, at the end of those uh, cartoons. I'm sure, they're both dead.
3: Yeah. Hi, everybody. I am so sorry I couldn't make it to the beautiful Sunday Movie Marathon podcast with my beautiful co host. I've just uh, had a lot of things get on top of me and I have uh, not been feeling too great. So, um, I did watch the uh, movies with the boys. Space Jam. That's it. That is this whole note. Um, Oh my god. Well, I don't have too much of an opinion on the comparisons between the first one and the second one. Because I haven't actually seen the first one. And I know that's pretty sacrilegious. But um, at least if I now go and watch the first one. I can be like wow. This one's so much better (laughs) in comparison. (sighs) Um, Words don't describe how much I don't like this movie. I don't particularly hate it with a burning passion. I don't really feel a lot for it to be honest. I feel like it was just made for the sake of um, finding the opportunity to release a film to nostalgic uh, people of age, such as myself, who would have seen the first one, haven't been to the cinema in a long time, and thought, oh, maybe it'd be quite fun to reminisce and go see the new Space Jam movie. Either that, or it was just a massive market employee for Nike to sell Goon Squad vests i don't know either way um this film was not very good although porky pig he can show spit roast i gotta hand it to him he's pretty good at rapping <laughs> um i don't even remember what i wrote this um ev- everything about it is ridiculous i mean there are certain parts of it that i think oh. Uh, I mean, it's not terrible. <laughs> it's, it's just not good. Um, I don't know if I'd even recommend to watch it, to be honest. I feel like it'd be a waste of two hours of your life. Um, I really can't remember what I rated this. Um, I'm going to give it a solid 1 out of 10. And if it's higher than that, Chris can edit this clip for me. Thanks, guys. We've said enough about Space Jam and
2: all that jazz. So uh, we'll get on to the movies. Uh, we did Alfonso Cuarón movies again, as we as we said. We didn't choose Gravity because that movie's it's uh, it's not the best. <laughs> I wanted to have a good time. So do you want to introduce the first movie?
1: Yeah, let me just get out of the plot so I don't butcher it because I'm not too fresh on. It. Yes, pronounce so it the correctly. F- the first film, um, instead of going in um, order of the films we picked we decided to go in their release order so it goes like darcy me and m max last so the first film was darcy's pick which is e mama tambien from 2001 um this was one of two mexican films going to be talking about today it's about these two teenage boys who um they basically go on this road trip with Uh, older woman who's kind of going through this big big divorce her husband cheated on her and she was just like fuck you man and decides to go on this road trip with these two young boys who kind of on this journey learn about each other learn about life and have a lot of very graphic sex
2: they do and it's awesome (laughs) yeah this movie was fantastic like I had any uh, doubts I mean He's definitely one of my favourite directors. You can't really fault him uh in like the movies that are actually like top tier. I think this is it kinda of reminded me a lot of like uh Inyari too in like the directing yeah, style. I think it was quite similar to that. Uh if it was like you get like this kind of slice of life type movie with you to mama tambian uh it was very interesting the characters that were explored and they were kind of exploring themselves as people who were growing up and sort of going on this road trip uh, it's it's kind of like the people you want to be these friends who just they they all really love each other and they're just going going on a road trip and i think it's quite a relaxed movie it's quite relaxing it's not very heavy on plot uh it's just it's more like character pieces you you go on the journey with them and i yeah i just i really loved it
1: yeah i enjoyed it a lot also like you said it's a very simple movie and the film kind of relies heavily on Exploring these characters, and I feel like if the acting and writing wasn't great, the film probably would have suffered heavily, but both were really fantastic. I think all the characters are very, very likable in their own way. All the acting is fantastic. Even though not a lot really happens throughout, there was never a point where I felt bored or felt that it was really dull. It's just it's a very calm, leisurely experience watching it. But points, it's also kind of dark and sad as well which i enjoyed a lot
2: yeah we talked about a movie last episode called outlaw and in that we we got talking about the the way that sex is presented in film and how that movie really did not do it very well it was, it was very gratuitous and it felt hateful in this i think that the exploration of sex and the, the way it's displayed is, like, not only is it like well done, but it's like, it has a purpose in the movie with these people who are exploring themselves and trying to get the most out of life in this brief moment and I think it just it goes to show, like, you know sex in movies, it's hard to get right, it's hard to write good sex scenes and it's hard to portray that in a way that actually like feels sexy it's very well and good saying like i can write a sex scene but it's just going to be like comedy it's going to be funny because that's the only way i know how to write sex because i don't know how to write sexy scenes these i don't know about you these were some hot scenes when they were like actually like going at it it starts with just like there's sex scene and it's actually like really funny because like you're just like tossing around and then like just like you're not going to leave me when like you're not going to go out with when sorry so it's it's the character of um I always get these two confused who is it uh Tenok and Julio. uh might have been Tenok and he's like you're not going to like go on holiday and uh, fuck uh, Italian guys, are you? She's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And he's so insecure about it, but it's just like this back and forth of like, they're trying to have sex, but at the same time, he's just so insecure about what's going to happen when she's away. But it's, it's really good, honestly. It's, 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 and it's hot, and, it's, uh, and like, even just like the colour palette of everything it feels lived in, and it feels sweaty. It's just, I, r- I really enjoyed it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it feels very natural. Like, he, there's never a point when you're watching these scenes where you feel like these characters that are having sex, like, are strangers that have just been thrown together like you can with some films. It feels very natural. It feels like there's a connection between these people. Um, and yeah, it's very, very well done. It's never... it's. I guess it's kind of graphic, but never to the point where it feels unnecessary and just gratuitous. Like, there's never a point where I'm like, yeah, you didn't need to do this. It all feels like it's an important part of the story, which is something that's very, very hard to pull off. I can think of so many films that have these graphic sex scenes and it's just completely unnecessary. Yeah. It's not like a Gaspar No Way where he just goes that extra mile to make you feel.
2: Really upset <laughs> no
1: no, it all feels like very purposeful to the story and the mood that he's trying to create with this movie,
2: yeah, they talk very openly about it, and especially with just this woman that they kind of meet at this like racetrack uh type place, and it turns out that she's uh is she, is she like their cousin or she's married to their cousin
1: yeah, I think she's married to Tennox's cousin,
2: yeah, and then. It turns out that he's cheated on her, so that spurs her to make the decision to go on this holiday with with these boys, and they're just they're very open about like just talking about sex and like I was like what? like you just met this woman you're talking about yeah. like all all these like all the all all like the sex you get up to and like the sexual activities that you you get up to in your spare
1: time it was like how about a hello
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But it fits the characters really well because Tenoch and Julio, is it? Yeah, yeah. They're like they're characters who are they're adolescent. They're kind of at that point where they're kind of discovering themselves for the first time, and all that they really think and care about is like sex and women and partying and that sort of thing. So it makes sense that that's kind of all that's on their mind. And as the film progresses, you see them kind of experiencing new. Things and kind of learning a little bit, and I think yeah. that's kind of what makes the film so interesting. It's what makes you like the characters so much because, like, at first, they're these characters who like are both openly talking about how they cheat on their girlfriends and like they go to parties and fuck loads of women there and that sort of thing. And at first, I was like, hmm, I'm not sure I'm gonna <laughs> like these characters at all, but as the film goes on and they kind of expand upon them a lot more. You end up caring about them and feeling bad for them as well.
2: Yeah, it goes to show you can you can portray characters that aren't just one way or another. People in real life are grey, like morally grey. You know, people aren't just like really good or really bad. Real people have a lot more depth to them. I think. This, this movie portrays that very well and I think it's very funny at a lot of points there's a part where like the, these two characters are clearly very close to each other to one another as as you would be with a friend that you spend so much time with uh at that age I know I was close to my friends uh maybe not this close but uh like when, when I was that age getting out of school or just uh while you're in school there was a part where like They they go to like a swimming pool outside, and they like lie on diving boards and just wank. Yeah, (laughs) just like what the fuck? Why are we watching this? But it was so funny.
1: Yeah, they you can really believe their friendship as well. They both have like great chemistry together. They really play off each other super well. And something I also love is um. So right at the end of the movie, they kind of come back. And like see each other like it's months after, months, maybe years after the events of the movie and they hadn't really they stopped speaking to each other and stopped seeing each other and they're like sat together at this restaurant and you can tell that they're nowhere near as close as they were. And that's kind of just a testament to how great the performances are. The fact that they connect so well throughout so much of the movie and during that one scene where they've not seen each other in forever and you know, their relationship's very, like, tarnished, kind of. They are very distant, and they play it really super well. Yeah. I understand all that,
2: though. You know, when you grow up, it's it's easy to think that you'll be friends with some people forever, and they'll stay in your life forever because you love them so much. Often that's not what happens. Uh, you do grow apart from people, or, like, your interests go in different ways, or you move away. Uh, from each other, you just, you don't contact each other as much as you think you would. Uh, These things happen, so it was quite, uh, I wasn't, like, super sad about it when they had this conversation at the cafe, and they were not as close anymore, and that was, like, the last time they'd ever see each other, Uh, but I was just thinking, this is just the reality of being alive and interacting with people.
1: Yeah. I think the facts that they had a sexual experience together probably didn't help either. That scene was insane. Yeah, when that's like great
2: it's line. like right at the end. It's like right at the end, and it's building up this whole time. And there's always like this subtle energy between the two characters. They're each trying to like get off with uh, Louisa uh, at any given moment. So she's like, she's just going, she's just like having sex with both of them at different times, and. Every so often, you get like this little, like more than friends type chemistry with the two uh, male leads. Uh Diego Luna, who I didn't recognize really, I uh, was like, "Yeah." Came his name came up, I was like, "Oh, it's Diego Luna and uh, Gael Garcia Bernal." They're fantastic, and yeah, just throughout it, I'm like, Babel, "Yeah, they're, which they're We quite, also talked about, yeah, he was, yeah, really good in that too, and just throughout, I'm like, "There's something going on here." And in the end, there's like this three way where <laughs> Louisa's like sucking them both off, and then they're kissing each other. I was like, "This is exactly <laughs> what I thought was gonna happen." Yeah. It's so funny, but it's like it, it means something to the movie, and it means something to the characters. It's absolutely necessary for it to happen.
1: I appreciate that Alfonso Cuarón was brave enough to take the film there. Because I feel like a lot of lesser directors probably wouldn't have had the confidence to go that far with them and just had them as friends the whole time. But I think it 100% makes sense in the context of the story that he's telling. Yeah, absolutely. (coughs) Luca. (coughs) Sorry, what was that? Um, There's
2: just i i want to talk about like the the lighting of the movie it feels very like natural i think there's not a lot of like artificiality to how it looks as we yeah. said before it all feels very lived in uh there's a lot of really fantastic shots where i think Quaron's quite uh notable for how he uses the camera and how he Definitely. does use these uh very long shots that go on for a very long time uh it's, very evident in this as well. There's a scene which is like this one shot of like a party that they're at and it's very short, but it's like oh, it's you get everything you need to from it because it's just it's just this party and like the music's going and everything's like lit with like green lighting and it's but like it's because like the curtains that are green. So like the light shining through these green curtains and it's illuminating everything in this green hue. Uh that I think happens again. When uh, uh, Julio and Tenok are in the bedroom at uh, just this place they've stopped off on the road trip, and uh, everything's just like green as they're having this argument, and like the lights are off. And yeah, I just I think like technically, I think Quaron has improved as a director over the years, but it's not it's not like improvement from a place where he was terrible at the start and then he got really good. I think he's just a uh, a
1: very talented director. Yeah, super talented director right from the get go. Yeah, most of um most of the lighting. I think it was ninety percent of the lighting in the film is all natural light, mm-hmm. and it looks really good. It all feels very very real. Um, there's a scene which is one of my favourite scenes in the film, which is just a it's a one shot of just um characters sat um at a bar outside um just talking, and they're like. <laughs> The two main characters have found out like that they'd slept with each other's girlfriends. And there was like a huge argument about that. But they've gotten drunk and now they're laughing about it and talking about it at this bar. And that was a scene I especially really loved. There was something about that where it felt very, very real. It felt like an actual just people chilling at a bar, just drinking, partying. The lighting in that scene, especially, I've really liked it. All just looked very, very real and lived in, like you said.
2: Yeah, it was a fantastic scene. It was really funny as well. It yeah, was laughing quite a lot. This is a is. very funny film, to be fair. It is. It's 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 so funny. It's really good, and the performances are just they sell it so well. Uh, but they are talking about like oh <laughs> yeah I, I actually uh, I had sex with your girlfriend you're like, I had sex with your girlfriend so they argue a lot and it's like it's watching two people two real people that you feel in your mind are just real and they're having like an argument with each other they're very angry with each other and then just as it starts to simmer down they're like oh well these things happen or like yeah, they're probably out like in Italy cheating on us as well, and they just like have a laugh about it. It's like they don't really care about their girlfriends all that much. Clearly, if they can go out on this uh, road trip and have sex with this woman that they've just picked up, yeah. uh, like they they get mad at each other on principle because they've each slept with each other's girlfriends. <laughs> they do. They said that um beforehand as well when the, one of them admits to having sex with his girlfriend. Uh, in like the car, and they just have this big blow up, and then Louise like storms off because she can't have them like bickering like children because they really don't care about these girlfriends of theirs at all. Like you only get to see like one of them really at like the very beginning. You, you like we don't care about them because they're not really like they're not the characters that we're
1: supposed to be engaged with. No, that scene in the bars also the scene when they. Um, admit to each other that they're they're milk brothers, which was the line that made us all laugh. It was really oh. gross.
2: Oh yeah, that was, that was so funny. What the fuck? We're milk brothers. Yeah. That was fantastic. <laughs> I say that forever and always now. Yeah, we're oh, milk brothers. There was a there was a part where they're at the. Um, the racetrack, and uh, it's like Tenoch goes up to the the bartender, and he's like looking around at all these like fancy posh people. And he's like, oh, "What a bunch of assholes!" And the barman just says, "As you say, sir." Yeah, he has to agree. With <laughs> there's also a lot in this movie to do with like things that are not as lighthearted. There's a lot to do with like I think there's civil war going on in in the realms of this movie. I think they pass a lot of like grave sites. They pass a lot of like crosses stuck into the ground. And I think they're like tributes to the dead. And when they pass uh, the roads, you get like little outposts where like military are standing. So I think there's something to do with. uh, I get that a lot in a lot of quarrel movies where I think conflict is presented as a mainstay. I think it's just like steeped in how he makes movies. There's like a part where like a man is like dead on the street or like a man died on the street that they have to drive past. And it's just like, I really love how it's presented because it's like, it doesn't tell you about it really, but you like, you see it in passing when they're driving across the street and you only see what they see because they're on a holiday and they're trying to have fun. Why would we focus on what's happening in the wider world when we're just, we're trying to focus on this one little part of it? So I, I just I love that attention to detail.
1: Yeah, that's something that kind of I feel like comes back in Roma. To be fair, you're focusing on just yeah. one section of this huge world. Absolutely. I think something he also does in both movies is I feel like he presents um, Mexican culture in a very interesting way. Like obviously in Roma, he presented it how it was in like the seventies, and here he presents it how it was in modern day when the film was coming out it's interesting going through all these different settings in mexico and seeing all these interesting characters that could have been expanded upon but aren't they're just part of the background really it's all very very unique i think i think so yeah absolutely he just
2: knows when to pull back i think you know what to show and when to show it uh i d- there's like a part where they're on like the beach, and the beach looks lovely. I watch this beach scene. And I'm like, I want to go to the beach. I want to yeah. swim in the sea. Come on, it's, it looks so nice. And they meet this family uh, who on the beach, and they get talking. They go on like their boat, and uh, they. This is where like the narration comes into it because there's there's always this narrator who comes in every so often when a new character is introduced. To like explain what the character who the character is and what they're about uh the the trials and tribulations that they've gone through to get to this point uh and what they'll do afterwards when you don't see them yeah so they meet this family and he says something like uh this man was a fisherman and he won't fish again after this uh because he becomes a janitor because a hotel complex is being built where his home is so he has to move away uh, from his home, and he has to uh, take up this job as a janitor, even though he just, he loves fishing, but he can't do that anymore. And that also ties in, I think, with just the the political conflicts in the movie that are sort of more underlying.
1: Yeah, it also kind of just adds like character to things that in other films probably wouldn't really have much depth to it. I love, I do love all the narration throughout. It's like, it's very clear that Alfonso Caron basically created this universe, created all these characters and backstories. And like, even though a lot of the characters you barely see in a scene, it's very interesting hearing him basically tell you what happens to them, who they are, where they come from, it makes you care about these characters who really don't have a massive impact on. The main story, and I think it's really interesting. I also love the way um that the the way the narration is basically played throughout the movie because any anytime it happens just before it comes in, like all of the audio cuts out except for some like occasional like rough background noise, and every time it would happen, it would always throw us off. We' are always like always thought that yeah. something had gone wrong, like the film had accidentally muted. I thought it was very, it's almost like just making sure you're paying attention, just making, like, yeah, just like reminding you to pay attention in what happened. Yeah, it's like clapping at you, or like clicking yeah. at
0: you.
2: <laughs> yeah, I liked it a lot, I really did. Um, I don't actually have all that much more to say on the movie, uh, I thought it was fantastic. I don't know if you had uh, anything more to say.
1: Um not a lot um i did like how the music's played throughout because there's um there's no like music that just plays in scenes it's all played out of like radios and stereos and that sort of thing it's all music that the characters can actually hear except Mm -hmm. for like in the main the end credits when there's a a usage of a frank zappa song watermelon and easter hay which i really loved that song um
2: yeah using more like diegetic music i think helps portray like this natural feeling yeah. that he's going for it helps Feels you really more authentic
1: yeah it really puts you into this universe um the only other thing i wanted to bring up we hadn't actually said about it before but the film's title um e2 mama tambien it's translated into english it means and your mother too <laughs> Nice. Yeah. What does that mean? It's like one of those phrases where on its own it means nothing. But if you put like a offense before it, then it yeah. like can be an offensive phase. Like if you say fuck you at the beginning, then it's <laughs> offensive, but on its own it means nothing.
0: Yeah.
2: Maybe that's a, a thing about the movie, perhaps. All yeah. these things that are on their own that I think I link that to like the people that they meet. It's very realistic in the fact that like, you go on holiday and you do meet people, you get talking to other people, and they only stay there for like maybe an hour or maybe a day, uh, and then you never see them again.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of the main experience of this movie, I think. Absolutely. Should we go on to ratings? Yeah. Should we rate this out of Milk Brothers? Milk Brothers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, this film's really, really great. I um, wasn't sure... How I'd feel about it, because this obviously we hadn't watched this one before. Children and Men and Roma I'd seen before, but this one, I was going in completely blind. Literally knew nothing about the movie at all. Didn't read any plot, synopsis or anything. So it was interesting watching it. It's a very unique, interesting movie that I would highly recommend. I'm going to give it 9 Milk Brothers out of 10. Yeah, I,
2: I just, I like kind of slice of life movies where it's it's light on plot and it's heavy on characters i think the acting is fantastic portrays that very well and obviously the direction is second to none so i'll also give it nine milk brothers out of ten
0: yeah
3: and this is for why two Mama i um yeah um pretty solid movie um I don't think I'm ever gonna have the words Milk Brothers ever etched out of my brain. I think it might stay there for the rest of my life. Um, It was actually quite an enjoyable movie. Really quite. It was quite enjoyable at points. And then towards the end, it kind of got a little bit sad. This uh, sad sort of uh, realization that. people kind of grow up and sad things happen to people and um, just kind of, it's, yeah, kind of the reality of going on a road trip and things happen and then having to kind of face that. So if um, it was very much like a coming-of-age movie, even though it probably shouldn't be. but um, maybe that's just the sort of times that we live in now although I know this film in particular is from 2001 but it just gave me that sort of feeling of how awkward and stuff Um, you can be when you're younger and how it's really hard to sort of face the consequences of things that have happened when you don't want to deal with them but yeah for a pretty solid start to the movie marathon um i believe i gave this film around a six or a seven out of ten
1: so onto my pick which is the film children of men from 2006 this is a movie which stars clive owen who basically plays a character in in 2027 in this it's kind of like a almost like a post apocalyptic world kind of it's very dystopian everything is being like controlled by the military basically it's this massively chaotic world in which humans can no longer procreate the film starts off with the the youngest person in the world dying who is only like 18 and basically he plays he's like a former activist who's brought in brought back into this big activist group who um, basically get him to help transport this woman to a sanctuary at sea who has um, become pregnant somehow. So basically they're just trying to get her through this very chaotic military-owned world to a safe sanctuary where maybe the scientists can actually do some good and help her so yeah that's kind of the rough plot what did you think of children of men i know you've seen it before haven't you I've
2: seen it a few times yeah um this might be my favorite alfonso cuaron movie i think it's brilliant uh and i have seen it a lot of times i'll watch it again and again and mm. again i just think he does so well at his world building It feels like this grimy fucking future in 2027 in London. It's like, oh, London's the only place that survived. And everyone's flocking to London because everywhere else on on the planet is burning. Or it's in disarray. Uh, People are going to war with each other. And you get a lot to do with... Again, this may be more overt, but like... Police, you get a lot more to do with, like, war and like, the, how people deal with that. I think, like, the world-building is just... This is probably, like, one of my favourite movies in terms of how it builds its world. Yeah. It's very well realised, I think. And it, it's just, like, grimy and trash-filled. Much like the London of today. But <laughs> uh, you know, just, it, like, even more i think it's so interesting to see from this Mexican director like he's he's like i'm going to make a movie set in london it was based on a book so i get uh, he's like the perfect director to to depict this kind of thing as well yeah really lends itself to like his style like i said about uh like the long shots and like the more like graphic imagery that maybe you wouldn't see in any any other uh movies he he doesn't shy away from it i think he's fantastic and i think the movie is brilliant uh and especially big props to like the writers you know because it went through a couple of cycles i think getting it correct uh and also like the performances just feel really lived in as well as like the world you don't really doubt it for a second
1: yeah exactly i think it helps the fact that it's not in a lot of ways it's not too dissimilar to how london is today like it kind of it feels very real because it's not too far away from how things are like you watch so many films that are set in the future and they make it just super unrealistic and there's like flying cars and like really bombastic ridiculous stuff whereas this it feels very real it feels just kind of how things are today but things carried on getting shitter and shitter. There's a lot of like famous London icons throughout. Um, There's like a shot where you see the Shard, which was actually interesting because at the time they filmed the movie, the Shard hadn't been fully built yet. So they had to use CGI to fill it out. Um, (laughs) It's also a bit where they go to the Tate Modern. There's a bit where they go to Battersea Power Station. And I only just realized at this time that you actually see... um, There's like a flying pig balloon outside Battersea Power Station, which is obviously a reference to the iconic Pink Floyd album cover, which is just a flying pig by Battersea Power Station. And I thought that was a really nice touch. Um, Yeah, the world building in it, it feels really, really great. There's, There's so many points where they like... I love the way they just like reveal information about what's happened throughout. It feels very natural. There's never a point where they like stop the entire film to like just give loads of monologue or anything. There's like or exposition i mean it it feels like any anytime they bring up what's happened, it feels very natural. feels just a part of the conversation like there's a part where um Clive Owen's character, Theo, is talking to um. Julianne Moore's character Julian, and um, he just asks about her, um, her parents, and he was like, w- "Were were they in New York when it happened?" And she's like, "Yeah, yeah." And he's like, "Oh shit!" There's like stuff like that where they don't explain fully what's happened, but you can kind of fill in the blanks yourself. And I I think they do that in such a really really interesting way. There's never a point where you doubt anything that you're watching. There's never a point where you know you're left questioning loads of things because they do just a great job of building everything,
2: yeah, did you read about like the the reason why there's not much exposition in the movie because like they never yeah. really explained like the reason for like infertility uh, you kind of just have to decide on your own how that happened uh but it's like I think quoron has just this dislike for uh exposition. He said that there's a kind of cinema that he detests which is a cinema that is about exposition and explanations and it's become a medium for lazy readers. He said that cinema is a hostage of narrative and he is very good at narrative as a hostage of cinema. He yeah. Is, he, he's bloody yeah right. I had
1: that noted down as well.
2: It's insane. I was watching this and I was like, how can someone be this good at making movies? It's like it defies all logic. it's absolutely insane like and I do think it lends itself to like not having the exposition. you just kind of have to put your own thing on there. You don't know why people are infertile. you just gotta understand that they are, and that's how how the movie is and I think that's that's also a way to like combine that with themes I think of like immigration and themes of uh just. Like the way we treat people in the world and how we can be indifferent to the suffering of others just because we can't see them. But now it's like brought to the forefront and it's all in London, so it's like you see everything. And you see all these all the people who are suffering, people who can't get into the country, people who can't get into the city, and it's brought to the forefront. Like there's no like detention centres where we live. We don't see this kind of stuff. Um willing to bed, it's, it's like that everywhere you don't see this stuff it's not so it's easy to disconnect from it but in here it's just you, you see it all and it's not just people from other countries it's people from within the country that they're in that's fallen to ruin around them I just think he yeah. does such a fantastic job of it
1: yeah there's a lot of parts that watching this film really ring true to how the world has kind of turned since this like there's so many bits where you see these immigrants who are locked up in, like, cages and treated like garbage by these, like, army men. And so much of that, like, just reminds me of shit you see on the news today. And um, yeah, um, there's a bit especially, which is still, to me, one of the most horrifying things I've seen in the film. The opening scene of the film, where you just see Theo, he goes into a coffee shop and then leaves. And... um The coffee shop gets, like, blown up by a terrorist. Um, And then you see this woman walk out, like, out of the rubble and smoke, holding her arm that's just blown off. And, like, that's the sort of shit you see on the news. Like, that's the sort of thing Mm. that's happening all the time. And it's so horrifying to see.
2: And then he just has to take his coffee and go to work. Yeah. Because this happens all the time there, clearly. He's not supposed to be phased by it. It's crazy. I think the, the movie does such a good job of building and sustaining tension. I think there's never a moment where I'm not like on the edge of my seat. Yeah. It never stops. It is relentless. This film is like a nightmare. And for that, it's not... It's like a thriller, I think. Yeah, uh, But it's like, genuinely probably one of the, like, the scariest films I've ever watched because it does feel so real. And it feels like it could happen in my lifetime
1: yeah i think it helps the fact that there's so many incredible like pretty much action sequences that are super super tense and like nail biting and leave you on the edge of your seat there's so many incredible ones like the really iconic car scene Where it's all like one shot where the camera's like spinning around in the car. And there's all these people like attacking this car, like people on horseback and like trying to shoot them. And it's just really, really suspenseful and just fantastic. It's like we were saying when we were watching it, we know how they did it. We've watched videos on how they did it, but we still don't understand how they managed to pull it (laughs) off because it looks incredible. Like, I've seen that scene outside of the film before but like, that was the scene that made me want to watch the movie because I watched it on YouTube I think um, and it, it's just it's one of the best action sequences in any film it's so insanely well done it's crazy it really
2: is and it's one of my favourite scenes in any movie they got like just this camera that had to be there in, in, the, uh, in the car and then like they had to like rig the car up so like they'd like drop people down from like their seats so like the camera could move and just like it's really insane how how fluidly the camera moves but it's like uh, yeah exactly like even though I do know how it was made it's still like how was it made I, I I have no idea it's like it's like a couple of shots I think it's a few shots but it's stitched together digitally it is seamless you can't tell you can't tell when like it's you put in like the CGI for like the blood or like uh the, the glass smashing. You can't really you don't really think about it no. because it's so high octane, it's so tense that and like this is like a part of the movie where even within this one shot you got Julianne Moore and uh uh what's his face? Clive, <laughs> the no. guy who plays the- Clive Owen, yeah. Uh you're them like playing like this game with this ping pong ball where they're like spitting it into each other's mouths and that's like really funny. But then it's just like, oh, this car that's on fire is rolling down this hill and now we've got to stop. And then Julianne Moore gets shot through the throat. It is horrendous. It is horrendously well done. It's so fantastic. And you feel for the loss, even though you've only seen her like for a couple of scenes and you understand what she meant to Theo within the movie yeah. they had a child together who died uh, so then obviously they, they've not seen each other for a while but you still understand that they do love each other and then when it's all over like they have to like do this like funeral type thing for her and, and then, like, Clive Owen just goes up to this tree and like starts sobbing and I was like welling up I was like oh my god the acting is fantastic
1: yeah I remember the first time I watched this film, I um, I was kind of like, okay, I feel like their relationship could have been like a bit more fleshed out. But this time around, I think I noted it down but then like removed it from my notes because I was like, you know, I think they, they reveal enough about their relationship where, yeah, I think they just reveal enough about it. it you kind of get everything you need to get out of it, like they never really explain too much about like what happened to their child. Never really explain too much about what ruined their relationship or anything like that. But yeah, rewatching, it, I was just kind of like, you didn't really need that. And that's something I, I, liked about it. For sure.
2: Yeah. Again, it goes into like this need to like, well, like, the, they don't need to do use as much exposition as you might see in any other movie that would try to do this kind of thing. I think it captures everything that it needs to capture. They go to like this abandoned school, and like the set design. I don't know if it's like just like this actual school that's been abandoned. What does it matter really? Because it feels real. It feels so real, and it's like getting like Chernobyl vibes from it with like the deer that like is in there. It just like runs past the the hallway for a split second, and that's like. There's a lot of animals in the, there are a lot of animals in this movie, yeah, and almost
1: he, every single shot has an animal of some sort, usually it's a dog, but yeah, there's like yeah. an animal in nearly every shot of the film.
2: They all love Theo. Theo's like an animal yeah. magnet. I think that's, I think that was a lot to do with like when, when we die, who's left to take over the world? It's just like it's going to go back to nature and it's going to go back to the animals. You see that in these uh, places like uh, Pripyat. Uh, where Chernobyl happened, you see people going in there. It's like all overgrown. The buildings have been taken over by the plants and just animals running around. They've taken back the world. Uh, I think that it's a lot to do with that as well. It's like we, as humans, have destroyed ourselves, and we do it to each other. And we we're the only like species who just actually hate each other. We hate. So much, yeah. and it's like no other animal species does this. It's just man, and it's like so. When when that hate dissipates, what's left is just we've killed each other, and we're all we're all gone, and we destroyed the world in our wake. And what's left is just like the animals, I think, and that's also to do with like these themes of immigration as well, and how we
1: treat people like animals. Yeah, definitely. I really love um I love all the characters in the movie and all the acting. Obviously we've brought up, um Theo already Clive Owen's character. I think Clive Owen is really great in this movie and I'm not really a big fan of him. I think he he really does like I think he fits this character really well. I think he's fantastic in the movie. I also really love Michael Caine. He plays a character called um, Jasper, who's like his—is his, like his cousin or something? I thought he was just his mate. Yeah, maybe just his mate. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, just plays a guy that he like goes to visit every once in a while, and he's like this kind of like this really weird hippie sort of guy. Michael yeah. Caine based the character off of um, his like his performance off of John Lennon, mm-hmm. and he's just he's really really funny in the movie. He's so good. It was yeah. like pull my finger.
2: <laughs> like, yeah, it he says work, that over and over again. This is one of his best roles. I yeah, think. this is probably, probably all my all these, like,
1: favorite performance from him. To be honest,
2: me too. him seen all these like Christopher Nolan movies and he's good in them, but it's like kind of plays the same character, I guess. He's yeah. not offering much of like in terms of like range, but in this he just. He shines so much, and hes he sadly dies uh, when he's trying to distract uh, the people who are after them, and that death is very sad, you see it from far off, but it's also like, you don't know whether you should like cry or laugh, because he's just saying, pull my finger as he's getting shot.
1: Yeah. I find that really, really upsetting. Yeah. Like, so, like, calling back to this joke, this bit in the film where it was like, it was funny earlier on and now you're watching this really horrific scene and they're calling back to it and it's almost like giving it new meaning and making it, like twisting it around, like twisting the context around, getting a different reaction out of the same thing. And
2: yeah, it's really, really sad. It is. And this is like straight after you see his wife is like paralyzed or like, she doesn't talk. She doesn't move really. And there are these things called like quietus, quietus suicide kits. That they distribute around London because obviously, like, if you can get more people to like kill themselves, then you won't you won't have this p- problem with like overpopulation if enough people kill themselves eventually. So, and the circumstances are so dire and they are so horrible in in this world that it's like a lot of people probably do take up that opportunity and like what what why would they live in this world that has nothing for them when they could just die peacefully? Really. It's, yeah.
1: it's very sad yeah he like kills his wife and his dog they go in and find yeah. it yeah it's really sad
2: you pan over like the countryside there's just like these big piles of like castle that have been burned and you see like the hooves that remain
1: like wow it's, it's just desolate yeah it's a visually incredible movie like The shot composition and all the cinematography is fantastic. The amount of like really long one shots is really really impressive. The film just has this very gritty and dirty look. There's never a point where like things are very bright and colourful or hopeful. It just feels very like very gloomy, and it fits the tone of the film super well. Yeah, and the production is massive. Just in awe of like just
2: how many people there are in here, like the sets that they must clearly have built, or like they've they've got these real places that they've just done up in like this post-apocalyptic uh, set dressing, and it's, it all looks so fantastic, and you never doubt it, you just never doubt that it's actually happening, and I'm like always in awe at how these kinds of movies handle the budget they're given and like how they use
1: that to make
2: it seem so high scale
1: yeah and he does it incredibly well here one of my favorite bits of the film is a bit that leaves me in awe every time I watch it and that's like the street battle towards the end of the film where um Theo is like running after the character of um Key who's like been kidnapped by Chuatel Ejiofor's character Um, and put into Mm -hmm. this like abandoned building that's getting shot up by the military and he's like running through all this rubble and destruction, trying to get there. And it's super, super tense. And like, it's horrible to watch. Like even on repeated viewings, apparently like, um, that it's all like one shot, like him running toward this building. Apparently it took like 14 days, like preparation And they like kept having to reshoot it, and any time they reshot it they'd have to delay everything for like five hours. so it ended up taking two days to film and yeah. they, they only actually did like one entire full take without any mistakes, but even in that mistake, they they like in that scene, they accidentally like splattered blood on the camera lens, which they didn't intend to do, and like Alfonso Caron like shouted "Cut!" But no one could hear him because of like the oh. tank and gunfire. So they just like kept it going. <laughs> and like they watched that scene back and they were like loved it so much. They loved like the blood splatter on the screen that they just kept it. And it, that was it, it so good. Was I love that so much. Like, oh man, imagine if that was cut. That adds so yeah, much to that
2: scene. It's fantastic. Just this blood on the screen. Like everything is like just a little bit out of focus now. And it's like how you'd feel if you just seen like an explosion. Yeah. And like your senses are all jarred. You, yeah. It's it's insane. It moves like how a real person would move. And yeah. Just trying to like dodge all these things. It was.
1: It is intense. It's so intense. Yeah. And it's terrifying. I prefer it to how like some films would handle it, where you got like a massive explosion that knocks the character back, where they've got like the, that really high pitched ringing sound that would yeah that play. Cause that can get like very grating, whereas this it it feels very disorienting without ever getting annoying or like making you uncomfortable.
2: Yeah, they also they do like reference like you hear that ringing in your ear when that sound dies, you'll no longer be able to hear that frequency. So like you understand like when it when it doesn't go like so high when like explosions go off, usually a movie would go just have this really loud ringing sound you understand yeah. that maybe that's to do with like the character of Theo and like the fact that he probably can't hear it anymore because he's he has been in like these uh, protests
1: beforehand where he's probably been around
2: yeah. this kind of stuff before
1: yeah the amount of explosions that they've already like set up the fact he's like it's just a normal occurrence for him just like going to work getting coffee and then almost dying in an explosion <laughs> He's probably lost those high frequencies now Probably,
2: yeah. There's also like a lot of humor in the movie. I think, Or maybe you wouldn't yeah. expect it to be so humorous. There's like, like baby Diego dies; he's like the youngest person on the planet. Everyone's so sad about it, and then like Theo goes, "Baby Diego was a wanker." Yeah. <laughs> and then Michael Caine says, like, oh, he was the youngest wanker on earth."
1: Yeah. And then there's a bit where he goes, and it's like his boss's office, and he goes, "You know what? The death of baby." F- um, Diego actually affected me more than I realised. Do you mind if I go home for the rest of the day? Yeah. <laughs> that it makes me laugh every time. He's such a fantastic actor. I think. Yeah. He doesn't
2: get, like, enough in other movies, I think. We reviewed, like, the Bourne trilogy and he's, like, in one of those, but he's, like, his character is nothing in that. Yeah. Just look at, like, what he could actually bring to the table. I think he actually... He helped out on the script quite a bit as well. Yeah. Another part where, like, Key is trying to name her baby. So she's like, maybe I'll name it Froli. What do you think of Froli? And then uh, Theo says, this is the first baby in 18 years you can't name it (laughs) Froli. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I don't know how much of that humour was um, his stuff, but it feels like kind of almost improvised. Yeah,
2: it could be. It could be. I think the um, the author of the book really actually liked the movie, which is always good. But then, considering like uh, Koron didn't even read the book before he made it, is such a testament to how great a director is. And I think that probably helped a lot because it doesn't inhibit inhibit
1: you creatively. Yeah, funnily enough, that was what they did with the First Born movie. But we all know how that went. (laughs) Just as well. It's just as good. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, this was the first theatrical film that um, used a sample from the website Free Sound, which is a website where, um, like, creators can basically upload sound effects for free that are, that can be used like royalty free. Don't have to pay to use it or anything. It can let you just download like a sound effect that a random person has made and uploaded and use it in anything without like needing to like credit them or anything. Mm. Apparently, that had never been done in a theatrical movie, but they did actually credit the user in the credits. It's like a loud scream, apparently, was used, which is oh, interesting.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it beats the Wilhelm scream.
1: Yeah, everything does.
2: <laughs> Stop using that in movies. I'm <laughs> shocked when I see that in
1: movies nowadays.
2: That's when it had its due. <laughs> I do not like Star Wars, like the new Star Wars movie. Yeah.
1: I mean, I get it in Star Wars because it's like... It's like a trope. Like a of, yeah. yeah, it's like a staple. Like that one line, um, I've got a bad feeling about this, which is in like every single Star Wars movie.
2: Yeah. Well, it's tired
1: though. <laughs> Something else I wanted to bring up is the soundtrack to this film, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. I love all the songs they use in this. Like, There's like a great usage of Hush by Deep Purple. Um, there's a bit where uh, Radiohead Song Life in a Glass House plays, like in the scene where um jasper like theo goes to jasper's place and they're just talking it's like playing in the background there's a scene where i think he's i think it's when he's going into the tate modern where in the court of the crimson king by king crimson plays and there's something like Mm -hmm. kind of eerie about that there's also in the final sequence where he's like running through these the battered building there's um a usage of a piece of classical music by Christoph Penderecki called Frenodi for the Victims of Hiroshima, which is one of my favourite pieces of classical music. And it's so harrowing and disturbing to listen to. And they use it in such a really creepy and eerie way in this movie. David Lynch used it in the new Twin Peaks, which was also really, really creepy. It's just like a very eerie song. And I think it was placed... Really well in this movie. He knows how to use music. Yeah,
2: I do. I do love the music in this movie. I think it's got a fantastic soundtrack. Um, and you know, it, yeah, again, it's used when it needs to be used, and there's not like this big like like Hans Zimmer type score going on when like big no. action scenes are going on. It's because it doesn't need it. Because sometimes that can take you out of the movie, or like it could tell you it could tell you a bit too much about how you're supposed to feel. But this doesn't because it's just so well made. <laughs> I do like the character of Key, uh, just getting onto her. She's played by um Claire Hope Ashite. She was fantastic, and I've not really seen her in anything else. But No, me neither. She's just so good. She sells the character so well. There's like the scene where like she calls Theo into the barn And the lighting is fantastic, and there's just like cows all around her, which is quite fitting. Um, Yeah, and she like uh, like reveals that like she's got like a baby bump, and you understand what they're fighting for in this moment, and you understand the weight with which uh, this scene carries and what it means to like the rest of the movie. And it's almost like in any other movie, this could be like the first act or like the first or second act of a movie. Uh the whole movie. And then because like, like when it's done and they're trying to get her on this boat, which is like basically like this kind of Eden allegory, I guess, where everything's fine and yeah. everything's safe and she'll be okay. Uh and then it like, ends. And you're like, Wait, what happens afterwards? But it's like, do you need to know what happens afterwards? Probably not. Yeah. Because <laughs> everything's okay now even though like everything is so so horrible and like she's the only one who made it but yeah. I thought she saw the character so well she just sounds like like giving birth that was like a horrific scene <laughs> it was crazy yeah but yeah really with fantastic. the
1: cgi baby that yeah points looks a little bit little bit questionable <laughs> maybe a bit but it's yeah. no twilight no definitely not yeah i do love the way the film ends cuz it kind of leaves it up to your own interpretation you can kind of like it's kind of up to you whether you think it's got a hopeful ending or kind of a sad ending. Cause like you could yeah. look at it like, oh, that's it. Everything's fine now. Like they're gonna she's gonna give birth. Maybe they'll run some experiments and find out what happened to her. And maybe people will be able to be fertile again and like things go back to normal. But you can also look at it like it could also have like a darker ending like maybe she does go in there and maybe they do run experiments on her and like they don't get anywhere and that sort of thing i like that they kind of it's all up to what you think
2: yeah maybe it's not eden maybe these people on the boat are horrible people yeah they'll kill her they'll take the baby and they'll parade it around like they were so afraid of i look yeah. at it as more like i think i think it's going to be okay i think it's quite a happy ending even though theo is dead even though he's died but i think he he fulfilled his purpose. He he's his like whole goal throughout the movie was just to get her to this boat, and it was like he did it because he uh, he saw so much of himself in her, and he had a baby and it died. So like, if, if he could just like stop this from happening to someone else, then he'd do it. And he's lost so much, you know. He it was, it was like offered money at the beginning, but like he was never really in it for the money. He just. No yeah i love it
1: I love it yeah ends up going through the ultimate sacrifice at the end he does does indeed
0: yeah
2: should we go on to ratings
0: yeah,
1: I've gone
2: through all my nights, sure do it out what? of um um I don't know <laughs> do you have one <laughs> no uh go by uh oh man, don't have pregnancies,
1: <laughs> <laughs> sure. yeah this is a really really fantastic movie um it's not my favorite Alfonso Cuaron movie we'll get to that in a minute but it's definitely up there like this is probably still like in my top 30 favorite movies maybe like it's really high up there I watched it for the first time um last year like during the summer and I really loved it then and watching it again just cemented how I felt about it. And I definitely loved it even more. And I can definitely see this being one that I'm going to watch multiple times in the future because it's just a incredibly well-made movie. I'm going to give it 10 pregnancies out of 10.
0: Yeah,
2: I love it. It is my favourite Alfonso Cuarón movie and it's one of my favourite movies ever. Uh, watch it all the time. and watch it till the day I die. Um, I think it's probably a movie that you should see. It's like it is I feel it is quite important. It is an important piece of cinema. Everybody goes on about it but it's not like I don't think it's like revered as much as like like a Jaws is or like yeah, or like a like a Blade Runner or something. I just
1: It's it's one of those films I've heard so many people say is like super underrated and not as loved as it should be. But at the same time, I've heard loads of people talk about it. It's kind of weird. It's like a film that everyone who's seen it loves it, but not enough people have seen it. Yeah, they think after out of the three it. films, it's the most accessible. So I'd highly it recommend is. everyone watch it. It's
2: a super fun time as well, as well as just being like a really great commentary on like the world and how, how we live and how we could end up. It's just a really fun, yeah. fun Definitely. action movie, I think. <clears throat> Yeah, ten pregnancies out
3: of ten. I love it. Hell yeah! Okay, so I guess we're on to Children of Men at this point in the podcast. Um, yeah. Um, I wasn't really sure what to expect from this one because, um, Chris was adamant this was probably going to be the one that I enjoyed the most. Seems to be the most accessible of his films. Um, it's got um sort of like a Hollywood star cast if that makes sense so it seems like a movie that you would probably go and see if it came out in the cinema which it probably obviously did but um yeah um actually um don't get me wrong i actually think this film is actually really good um everyone's really good in this film um especially michael Caine. but who doesn't love michael Caine? um clive owen absolutely amazing um and even the the lady that played the the pregnant lady i i oh, i'm so sorry that is just terrible because i don't actually know her name but um yeah everyone was just amazing in this like horrible dingy dirty grungy movie that feels like it's probably about to actually happen in real life um oh it was just a horrible chaotic dystopian nightmare um but Still a solid movie, I just, I just didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I was going to. Much to everyone's surprise, probably, because this film is actually quite highly regarded. But there you go. Um, so I gave this movie an 8 out of 10.
2: Now we're getting on to the last film in the marathon. That being Alfonso Cuaron's most recent movie uh, from 2018 called Roma. Is about, uh, set in like the early 70s in Mexico City. And it's about Cleo, who's a maid and a houseworker who's helping, uh, Mother Sophia and, uh, Father Antonio take care of their four children at their house. And, uh, through, uh, like complications, uh, like complications present themselves and Antonio runs away, uh, Suddenly, to be with someone else, and Cleo discovers that she's pregnant, and it's basically about like her life, uh, in these months. I think it takes place over maybe a year, uh, and I think this is this is probably Alfonso Cuaron's most personal movie. It's based a lot on like his life growing up in New Mexico, his nan nanny that he had. Uh, growing up it's like a tribute to her and like the 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 women the women in uh, in his life when he was growing up um and you can tell it's shot in black and white uh looks fantastic and i've seen it many times i got the Criter- criterion blu-ray uh and i've watched like the the behind the scenes stuff i've watched all the supplements You've seen the uh Road to Roma documentary. Uh and you just <laughs> I was watching like the Road to Roma documentary like last year or something. I was like, this man is insane. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. And not like like oh he's crazy talented, but like he's actually insane, I feel <laughs> <laughs> he's just, just he comes across as like a madman. He has to he's get absolutely everything he's a perfectionist, yeah. He has to he needs everything to be exactly precise. and I mean this movie is definitely precise in a way that only he could make it. But yeah, I love it. What what do you
1: think of it? <laughs> yeah, this is um was my second time watching it. First time I watched it, I really loved it. And I was kind of I wasn't sure what I was going to think this time around cuz like I feel like when you watch a film like on the second time, it either like cements how you felt the first time. Or you're like, you kind of doubt how you felt the first time. you like, watching it again, you're like, okay, maybe that wasn't as good as I remembered. But this this film was like, not only better than I remember this, there was like, watching this again, it was like one of the most moving film, move, watching experiences I think I've ever had. There was something about watching it this time. It just really resonated with me super, super deeply. In every single way just watching it it felt kind of nostalgic but at the same time this like nothing in my life has been like this it was weird it kind of makes you nostalgic for a time and place that you didn't experience yourself and I think that's just because of how real and personal it all feels like Apparently the majority of the film is based off Alfonso Caron's childhood. Like I think he he didn't really write a screenplay properly. He, like he wrote just a bunch of things that happened kind of and like things that he remembered happening in his life, like things he remembered like people saying, wrote it all down and kind of created scenes based around them. So the majority of this is like pretty much exactly from his memory and um It just, it feels, it feels real. You put, the film really puts you into, like, his head in a way. Like, you feel like you're watching memories play back. Memories that, like, I don't know, it's it's hard to describe, but, like, you do feel like you're reliving, like, memories that you have, even though you don't actually have them yourself. There's something very moving about that, I think.
2: Yeah, I agree. Because it is so personal, and again, I've not experienced anything like this. So it's like set in the early '70s. They have like a New Year in the movie, and it's like Happy 1971. This is set in the time of like the Mexican Dirty War. I tried to do a bit of uh, reading as to what that is, but it's like I didn't get like too far with my reading. I had things to do, I guess. But it's like just this time of political turmoil in in the history of the country there's like this ruling party that ruled from like the 20s up to 2000 and they were very like harsh and there was a lot of like things done behind closed doors they made a lot of people disappear and they tortured people and it was just really a horrible time i think and you see that in the way that the military is presented in this movie you get people walking down the street like military parades going down the street uh all the time they're like parading around like their flags and like these soldiers in uniform and to in their trumpets it's, it's very it's, it's just it's very present in the movie i feel and it does call back to probably how times were back in those days i think yeah. that he's he's a guy who's really lived quite a quite an interesting life that he's able to put all these things into a movie from memory alone,
1: yeah, and I feel I feel like a lot of that military-based stuff. Like at first, it kind of almost feels like it—you're watching it from like a child-like sort of perspective. Like it—it it feels very natural. It doesn't feel like a huge part of what's going on, whereas in reality, it probably was like a huge part of these people's lives. But the way he presents it is almost like it's just something that's going on in the background until later on, the violence does kind of affect the main characters and it does kind of become incredibly real and you do see it like up close and personal and I think that kind of is just how the film just kind of is structured generally like you're basically watching these scenes play out almost like it's from this person's memory and almost as if it's from this these people's perspectives and you're not seeing the world around them even though the world does feel very huge and lived in and real you know you're only focusing on what the characters are focusing on and it it makes it feel very very like real
2: yeah it's just like these these real world aspects that they, they have an effect on the characters i think yeah there's like a character called thurmin who's this uh, guy that cleo's uh had sex with and uh, he's got her pregnant, but he just kind of runs away, doesn't want to deal with it. And he's got like this, like, like martial arts type thing that he's doing, uh, where it's actually like I feel it's more closely linked to like what's going on politically. It felt like kind of like an indoctrination type of deal, yeah. Within this, uh, there's this huge scene, uh, where they go into like the shops and then, um, a riot breaks out. There's like this student uh, protest that's happening, and the police just like start killing people. I think, and they, they just it was like this horrible scene that actually happened in real life. Uh, and just so much of this movie, it hits very. Uh, emotionally with me i think even though i and i agree with you chris like i haven't gone through these things but it does feel very personal and the emotional beats are some of the hardest i think in any movie and he does it so well there's obviously um i mean i think like the crux of the movie is like cleo and like how she how she Works with and how she relates to uh, like the family in the movie that she and the children especially she loves the children so much and you really get this great chemistry between her and the family and I think like the kids do a fantastic job too. Um, yeah. I'm just thinking about <laughs> sorry I'm thinking about like uh, like how Koron directs children and then I was like. You imagine like David Lynch, in, like that video of David Lynch directing a child. <laughs> he's like, No, cry, be more sad, writhe around. I don't think he does that. <laughs> but and he's, he's he just works fantastically with people and there's um there's just a lot of scenes that obviously are plot from real life and then there's just this horrible part of the movie where like in that riot scene Cleo's water breaks and she's been held up by like these just all the all the rioting that's going around and like all the traffic's stopped and she's like in labor in the taxi and it's it's just this horrible scene where they go into like the hospital and like it's just a lot of long cuts and then like the, the aunt is the only one who's with her and she doesn't know like fucking anything about her so they're like asking her questions like who like what's her middle name uh who's her family and like what's her birthday and she's just like I don't know I don't know because I think there's a lot to do with the depiction of like like class structure and I think yeah it's very important to have Cleo as an ethnic minority in this movie because like and just to have her as like this maid this like position that probably is seen as like lesser to people and it's it's more like like a servant type of Job role, I think that's very um, evident in the way that like she interacts with Thurman and like he doesn't want to see her again, but he just calls her a fucking servant, and it's like, oh, okay, so you'll you'll use her for sex, but and like your own pleasure, but when you need to take responsibility, you'll just run away and like regard her as lesser than you. And I think there's a lot to do with class struggle. I think there's a lot to do with just racism in general in the movie. Uh: Definitely. And it like culminates in this like horrific scene where she goes into labor. And she goes to the hospital and there are a lot of long takes in it and just like there's one shot where she goes into the uh the room where they have to operate and it's and then like it's it's a stillbirth and it's so horrendously horrific. Uh but it needs to happen. And I think it's like oh she couldn't couldn't catch one break. It's just all these things that happened to her. And You feel so bad for her because she's such a fantastic character and portrayed wonderfully by uh, Yelitza Apparicio. She's just fantastic. I don't think she'd acted before, but no. Nah. Fuck, man, that scene hit me so hard. And I'm like, we were talking like afterwards, like, yeah, it was, it was sad. Like we've never like watched a movie together. We were like bursting out crying like none of us i don't think any of us were like that but i was i was crying i was definitely crying i was so
1: sad it was it was heartbreaking honestly yeah i remember i was also in tears and i was trying really hard to like keep it together because i was close to just bursting into tears and i looked over at darcy and she was just kind of in utter shock she looked like paralyzed and I remember even after the film had ended, we like sat there and watched the entire credits completely in silence. I don't think any of us really knew what to say. Because the last like half an hour of the film is so, it's upsetting, but really powerful and beautiful at the same time. Like the hospital scene is honestly one of the most disturbing and like upsetting things I've ever seen in a film. It just really, really like, it's just. It's horrible. It's really horrible to watch. And then it's not long after that is followed by the scene where um, Cleo like almost sacrifices herself to save the kids, like because they're like drowning. They're like caught in these huge waves, and she like goes in there to take them out, even though she can't swim. And like it's just a really, really powerful and beautiful sequence. It's honestly one of my favorite scenes in any movie and it's just like such a moving way to end the movie really just like it shows you just how important this family is to Cleo and how even though they are like it's just like her job basically it's it's basically her family like she cares about these people just how she would her real family and i think it's just it kind of just it's a testament to how much love and care the character has yeah you see they care about her as well yeah there's never a point
2: where I feel like they, they treat her badly you know yeah it's not, it's, like a, it's not like it's not like a one-way of, like, love she's lesser you know yeah it's there's like a point where like she discovers that she's pregnant and like all that's going through her mind is that she might get fired and that's like so sad it's like it's probably just like what she's just expecting and this has probably happened yeah. to her before, uh, but there was, yeah, it was horrible. And like, like I say, like the 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 stillbirth scene is is horrible, and it's like it's one of the saddest scenes in any movie that I've ever seen. But it's also that's not even like the saddest part of the movie for me because the saddest part is like the beach scene where they are almost drowning, and she has to go out. She has to go out literally out of her element and try to save these kids that she loves so much because she's so. It, just integrated with his family, they they love her and she loves them so much and they sell it so well throughout the movie. And then they all, luckily they all survive, thank God, and they were all just like sobbing on the beach together. They've all been through this horrendously traumatic experience and like the mum comes back and she runs up to them, like they all hug in this super impressive uh, lovely shot where they're all just hugging on the on the beach. Yeah. And the poster of she, the film. She's just yeah. She's just sobbing and like they, they're telling her that like they love her and like thank you for saving us and and she just like the saddest part of his movie for me is when she confesses to them that she didn't want the baby to be born. And yeah. she just says, I didn't. I didn't want her to be born. It's just it's horrible. It's so
1: sad. It is. Yeah, it is really really sad. There's loads of scenes. um, Throw out on the other side of things so I think are really sweet and beautiful of Cleo just like interacting with the kids like there's a scene right at the beginning where um, there's like a character who doesn't want to do something and he's like pretending to be dead and she's just like okay I'm going to join you and she just lies down mm-hmm. next to him I love that scene and there's also like a recurring bit that comes back a couple times where there's like a kid talks about this dream he had and he talks about when he was it's like When I Was Old and he talks about being a sailor and that sort of thing. I love that scene a lot as well. Um there's actually a song Billy Eilish wrote for the film called When I Was Older that was like entirely based off of that like sequence. Um mm-hmm. and it's like, just a really beautiful scene. It's just very simple, like but it just shows you how much the kids care about her. Like they're having these conversations like they would to like probably their parents they probably would have the same sort of conversation to their mother and like in some ways she kind of is like a motherly figure in some ways Mm -hmm.
2: yeah i do like that kid pepe yeah he's just just like got some really interesting lines and like he is saying like oh when i was older i was a fighter pilot like i died in a storm or something it's like yeah this is this is deep. uh but I love it so much and it's like I just I love the kids so much. I don't think they're ever like they ever weigh it down at all. I think they all play their part very well. I don't think they're like they're not like huge, they don't have like loads of lines, but they just sell the parts, I think. Definitely. Um and I love cool. Sophia as well, uh, the mother by by uh, Marina De Tavera. She's fantastic. Uh she is. In, like some some of the time. maybe she could come off as like maybe too crass or she she's a bit too angry you might say but just what's happened to her like her husband has left her and like he's just he's just gone and like suddenly like now he's like not even paying paying her any money to like support the kids so like whenever she's like angry or something or she snaps she's there's like a part where she like slaps one of the kids and like Yeah, you shouldn't slap your kids, but it's like you understand why she did it and I never felt like she was ever like in the wrong, really. No. At any point. She's such a fantastic performer.
1: Yeah, definitely. She um she was like one of the only people in the film who was actually like a trained actor who'd been in stuff before. So like filming the film, it kind of like was hard for her because so much of the scenes are almost like there's like a lot of improvisation in some ways. Like Alfonso Caron didn't give anyone the script before like filming the scenes. Like he basically would give them the, the lines on the day and he would also like tell different actors to do things to just like create chaos and like shake yeah. up the scenes a little bit. Like he'd, like in a dinner scene, for example, he was talking about this in the Road to Roma documentary. He'd be like, Yeah, in a dinner scene i'd like tell one of the kids to throw a fork on the, the floor and i wouldn't tell the other actors and i would say to one of the actors if something happens you just gotta react to it and make a big deal of it and that's the sort of thing that happens a lot in the film and it he said that it, that's exactly what life is like it's chaotic and you can't plan how you'll react to a given situation and like, i feel bad for the acts these actors they must have been like constantly like on their feet and it, like, just is kind of a testament to how talented they all are, that they managed to keep up throughout the whole film.
2: Definitely. That's what I kind of look at it as, like, it's definitely not, like, traditional in terms of its plot structure, because it is just kind no. of, like, scenes that happen. Just, like, that's what life is. It's just things that happen. You go, you move from day to day, and, like, things happen, and then you move on. Uh, it's not got, like, this grand, like... I guess like the, the beach scene is kind of that grand finale type scene, but then it's like they just go home and like like you would after a holiday and you're like, Oh, that was so good and like everything's changed now, like the dad's um, taken away his bookcases so like all the books are on the floor, but you, you get the sense that, like everything they're gonna be fine after this. It doesn't really need to wrap up
1: anything. It was like and this is what happened to them. It's just like life carries on. You know, yeah, yeah, it kind of feels like you're just like for two hours just thinking about a bunch of memories, like maybe that's exactly how it happened, maybe it's not, maybe that's like the order they ran in, maybe it's not, but it doesn't really matter that much. You're just kind of there experiencing it all, like Alfonso Caron said he wants to shoot the bulk of the film in wide shots, almost like you're someone you're like a observer rather than someone who is like subjectively there. And like can control what's happening or like following anything that's happening. So, so many of the shots are literally just like long shots that like pan across the rooms and stuff like that. And it all looks really great. Alfonso Caron did all the cinematography himself. And like considering that, it looks incredible. Like all the camera compositions and the panning and all of that stuff. It looks fantastic. I think he won an oscar for cinematography as well and really deserved i think so it. yeah it, yes yeah, definitely
2: deserved this movie no movie looks quite the way that this movie does it no, is no. so its own thing it looks fantastic i got like i don't know if you got this but like i got the sense that like when the camera is kind of moving so smoothly and in like one direction and thinking like more towards like the beginning of the movie where like it's moving and like you're just seeing Clio cleaning up, she she's like walking around and like the camera is moving, but it's not going in the direction she's going because she's not there yet. But like she will be, and then like yeah. it like pans to the other side and like that's the same thing and she'll go where she needs to go. She's like guided by the camera and not the other way around. And I think that's like a big hint at like maybe. This being already known, or like maybe it's like destiny in a way, but it's also I think like um, the movie is taking Cleo on a journey. She's not, she doesn't have m- like so much agency in the movie because it kind of just takes, it pulls her in the directions that she she needs to go. I think, and you know, she's not really in control of it. And I think that kind of links to probably classes of like uh, themes of like class. And like p- perhaps like war that's going on where you you do get these like uh, minorities that are like, just like pushed and
1: pulled all these different ways and they don't have any control over it. Yeah, definitely. At the same time, I think maybe he's kind of like presenting it kind of like just how life is. Like you don't have complete control over your life. Things like this happen, like things just happen and you don't really have control over it. You don't have control over your future like too much. Things happen that are completely unplanned. I feel like that kind yeah. of comes into it a bit as well. Just got to roll with the punches. Yeah. That's life, baby. Yeah, and that's kind of just what this film is for two hours. Just yeah. rolling with the punches, and there's plenty of them. Oh, God, yeah. I don't know if you thought
2: that maybe... Um, I got the feeling that the stillbirth was not out of nowhere. I think that there's like foreshadowing to it. I don't know if you picked that up as well. Um,
1: like, I haven't picked that up, but I've only seen the film twice, so maybe it's something sure. that I need to pick up on. It's so only like too. a couple of things I picked up on. Like
2: when she's in the hospital getting tested to see whether she is pregnant, she like goes into this room where like there's a window and she sees like all the babies in their uh, their uh, their boxes, the baby boxes. <laughs> I forget what it's like the incubators. Uh and then like this earthquake happens. And like the whole like the hospital shakes and like debris is like smashing down onto people and like the uh, on the floor and like on the on the boxes that the babies are in in the incubators, um. I, I think like that was like a lot about like the turmoil of the situation that she was yeah. in at the moment, and like, I felt like that kind of foreshadowed where she would eventually end up. I think especially like i like, it was like gut gutting when like it it shows like this shot of like debris on top of one of the incubators and like the baby inside it is not moving so you don't know like maybe maybe it's dead or like it's died from shock or something i think probably it was dead and um, like and it's sad but like, i feel like that's just what happened and yeah and then like it immediately cuts to like crosses in a field like just like buried in like the uh the dirt just like crosses and i th- i think that was probably a a hint that perhaps that baby had died
1: yeah most likely
2: there was also a scene where she's at the um the new year's party with uh the family's uh extended family and she's being led to like this table by a uh, someone she's like oh you got to drink some eggnog She's like, no, I don't think I should drink some eggnog. I'm pregnant. She's like, oh, one one drink won't hurt. And like, she, like she gets like knocked backwards, like somebody knocks into her while they're dancing, and like the the cup, uh, falls on the floor and it smashes. And then like, just like this milky kind of eggnog goes all over the place, and like, it's just this. It holds on this shot of the broken pot, and of the cup. I thought that was like foreshadowing, like broken water, but like literally, um. But it's more like like milky kind of substance. I felt that that was kind of like uh foreshadowing like the pregnancy. And like she never gets to drink it. And it's also sudden. It's also like suddenly torn from her. And I think that <laughs>
1: that was like a big indicator to perhaps uh foreshadowing the stillbirth too. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. It wouldn't surprise me. Alfonso Caron seems like the sort of person who's like very, very focused on the minute details and likes having these important things that maybe not everyone would pick up on. Like for example, Absolutely. like there's like a the film opens with um a shot of an airplane like flying across the sky reflected in water, which he said was used um the planes he used in the film as like a symbol of a transient situation and stating that there's a universe that's broader than the life that these characters have. Um, which makes sense why the film also ends with a shot of an airplane as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I then noted down, I was like, what is the meaning of the aeroplanes? It clearly has some meaning to it. Um, and like also I think like there were just like airplanes like flying overhead like yeah. anyway. <laughs> it was just like constant.
1: So it had to yeah. be worked
2: into the movie.
1: Yeah, exactly. I don't think originally it was a thing he planned, but because of it he worked it in. No that's good though that's also like like a children of men type situation where it's just it's like a happy coincidence, yeah there's a lot of like special effects work in the film that um is really great cause he like uses a lot of like vis vis um invisible like special effects like c g i and stuff to like a lot of the time to create like to really like sell the appearance of the world really like like date where everything is like um age certain sequences um there's a lot of bits where he like stitches sequence like shots together to make it look uninterrupted like the beach sequence at the end like when they go into water apparently it was like made up of several different shots that he stitched together and also like they made the water look a lot deeper than it was um they adjusted the height of the water in post as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like pretty much all the like um, scenes in the neighbourhood, like surrounding the family's home, has a lot of like blue screen work to like just get rid of anything that's modern and like to extend the street as well. And yeah, it all looks incredible. You wouldn't be able to tell at all. And I think that's what yeah. like the best special effects do makes everything visible. It's also seamless.
0: Yeah, exactly. Just,
1: uh, yeah, you couldn't tell. And,
2: like, even, like, I was saying, like, <laughs> to Darcy when we were watching, like, all right, see, uh, shots coming up. You tell me what's, like, green screen or blue screen in here. Couldn't tell me. And, like, I, if I hadn't known, I wouldn't be able to tell you either. Yeah. He's just so well done. He's a very meticulous man, I think. Definitely. <laughs> there are a lot of, like, Dead stuffed animals are like the family's house when they go for like for New Year's. I don't know if you picked up on that. Just like so many like yeah, stuff, like there's dogs on the dogs' heads on the like the mantles or like stuff like gazelle uh, in the places uh, in like the the living room and all that. I think that was probably tied into like the class theme, like stuffed animals on display, kind of contrasts like like POC in lower wage positions. You don't yeah like appreciate the animals for the life that they had, but like the way they look on display
1: yeah, yeah, I can see that mm-hmm. I love the usage of black and white throughout as well, like the whites look very very bright, and the dark the blacks are like super dark there's a great contrast between the two, and it all looks very purposeful and meaningful I love the I love the look and as well as like just general like camera compositions and also kind of the style of the film reminds me heavily of the director Federico Fellini it feels Mm -hmm. like Alfonso Cuaron kind of wanted to make his own Fellini movie because a lot of his films are very very personal in this sort of way Um, I've only seen eight and a half but this actually kind of reminded me quite a bit of that film because that film was incredibly autobiographical Um, and yeah and style wise and visually it looks a lot like. His sort of thing, but at the same time, it feels very much like a Alfonso Caron movie. Like, it, although it reminds me of like Fellini, it still feels very much his movie. It doesn't feel like someone else's film. Yeah,
2: you tell he cares so much about it. I yeah. watched them um, like some of the supplements on the Criterion Blue ray was just like how they distributed it and like the the challenges that they faced distributing it. Obviously, it went to Netflix. Um, I would have loved to have seen it in the cinema. But like obviously Netflix is is a is a good way to get a lot of people to see your movie. Uh, even if like maybe they wouldn't see it in the cinema in the first place. Yeah. I think there was like they had like this big like van where like or like this truck that had like a, a cinema inside of it and they would just like drive it around Mexico showing it to people for free. It yeah, so, yeah like, it's so it. wholesome. <laughs> it's really nice. Yeah, that was a yeah. great way to like get get more more eyes on it. I think.
1: Yeah, it does make sense why they put it on Netflix. I think he he really did want a theatrical release, but it will get it to more eyes because people may not want to go to cinema to see a foreign language movie. But when it's on Netflix, you're not really taking a risk. It's just there. If you want, yeah. there's probably like an English dub on Netflix that you can watch.
2: When you when you Google Roma, there's a section when you google things called people also ask and the second question is, is Roma boring? yeah <laughs> like, oh. and it's just got this like short like review type thing where he's like Roma is boring, dull, slow and for the most part a cliche and lifeless adventure it's like that's very subjective like one person's boring as another person's very interesting yeah. and layered I think, this is not boring to me I think I'm always, I'm never really bored at all in this movie because I think it just has so much going on. And I think because it's not filled with like super like action packed stuff, like if you were to go into this and like you were used to those kinds of movies, maybe you feel like nothing would, nothing had actually happened. But I think it's just, it's just packed full of things, you know?
1: Yeah. Even in terms of like, like a uh, drama, there's not like, the emotional beats that you'd expect from a drama. So I can imagine people watching it and being like, it's just a string of things and nothing really happens. But I don't think that's the case at all. Like you said, what one person may find boring, another person can find really interesting. I kind of understand how someone could watch this and find it boring, but I don't find it boring in the slightest. Yeah,
2: it's not for everyone. can tell black and white Mexican movie is probably going to turn a few people off. But, hey, it's obviously, it's it's out there. People know about it. It's, it did very well, I'm sure.
3: Yeah,
1: won a bunch of Oscars. Alfonso Caron won Best Director. It's the first foreign language film to win the Academy Award for Best Director.
2: Yeah, it was just so, like, obvious that it was going to happen, right? Like, especially, like, for foreign film. Like, if they if they're, like, nominating a movie for like best picture or best director from the foreign category and like none of the others are in it, like it's pretty much guaranteed
1: that movie is going to win the foreign category. Yeah, I can't even remember who else was nominated for that year. Me neither. Was um, it 2018? Yeah, so you had Lord, your ghost lamp for most Spike Lee, Adam McCain and Powell, Paolikowski. So yeah, mm, although I did one, like the favourite a lot, I do think. Alfonso Caron was the best of those nominated.
2: Yeah, probably. Yeah, I would agree. Have you ever, um like there's a scene in this movie where there's this guy called Zovek and he's like he he's in this uh like desert place he's talking to like the 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 people that Furmin is with, just like his martial arts uh group and they're like all like in rows with, like, their sticks and they're doing, like, uh, martial arts training. And then he comes out and he's, like, standing on one leg with his eyes closed and with, like, a blindfold on him. And and he's like, can you do this? You try it now. It's not as easy as it looks. You ever tried to do that. Um, No, because I have a really
1: terrible balance. I can't ride a (laughs) bike, let alone do that.
2: Well, yeah, maybe we're not, like, the best people to say that because we're not, like the best in terms of coordination i guess but uh i tried to do it while it was happening like the first time i uh i watched this twice i watched it um last week and then with you guys and I, when i was watching it on my own i tried to do it i just couldn't because i think yeah. there's something that it gets lost with like uh your balance and your equilibrium uh when you close your eyes and you try to balance on sort of just one
1: leg i think uh, someone probably gets lost there. I like that you see everyone trying to do it, and no one can do it except for Cleo. She's the only person yeah. that can do it. She's one
2: of the greats. He's like only a few people, only a few top athletes can do this, and then she yeah. does it.
1: Yeah, a pregnant the... woman. Yes, yeah. <laughs>
2: because she's awesome. Yeah, and that all—that's also, also like like themes of like class structure too. Like these these people that we don't give any chances to, because they're from lower backgrounds, or like people, um, from just different c- classes that you wouldn't you wouldn't give second thought to. They can yeah. they can they are just as capable, if not more so, than the people that we do give chances to if they had the same opportunities.
1: Yeah, definitely. You got anything else to add to this film, or are you ready to go to the ratings? I think all right. Yeah, yeah. What do you want to rate this one out of? And don't say stillbirths, because I know you said the other day you didn't want to do that.
2: How dare you suggest I might say that? <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you would slander me in this way. Um, damn it, that is actually what I was going to say. No, I've got to think of something else. Um, <laughs> airplanes. Do airplanes? Sure. There's yeah. a lot of airplanes.
1: Yeah, this is. A really, really beautiful movie. I am definitely going to get the Criterion um, Blu-ray as soon as I can afford it. This is just one of one of the one of the great movies. I think it's honestly one of the best movies I've ever seen. Easily one of my favorites now, and I cannot wait to rewatch it at some point because it's just beautiful. I definitely I didn't finish watching the Road to Roma documentary, but I'm definitely Going to finish that off over the weekend because what I watched was fascinating. And just watching this crazy, crazy director who is just like really incredible, like working is just fascinating to watch. So, yeah, I'm going to give it 10 airplanes out of 10. For sure. Oh, I was going to say, eggnogs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's too, okay. too late now.
2: Yeah, uh, it's too late. Um, yeah, I agree. I think in many ways, this is. Alfonso Cuaron's best movie. Yeah, it's, it's his not... favorite
1: film he's done, apparently.
2: Yeah, you could tell. It's very obvious to tell why. Um, perhaps I do think it is his best. It's not my favorite of his, but like filmmaking wise, and just like what it what it means to the director himself, probably his best movie. And everyone should see it because it's bloody brilliant. Um,
1: it's on Netflix. Go watch it.
0: Yeah.
2: Definitely. I am also going to give it uh, 10 aeroplanes out of 10. Fantastic.
3: Yeah. Ooh. Boys, boys, boys. Quickly, a big fuck the pair of you for making me watch this film in the first place. Um. But after you get over the fact that I'm never going to get over this movie and I'll probably never watch it ever again. I fucking love This movie, I love it, love it, love it. Don't get me wrong, the uh, trauma from this movie and watching it with used to. um, I'll never watch this film ever again. I think it's a film that is so like painful to the human experience. (laughs) I just don't want to watch this ever again. Um, Oh, it is... Everything about it is lovely. But I don't mean lovely. I can't explain this in words. It's. Everything is shot so nicely. There's like points. During watching it with the boys where. I'll just be going. Oh my god that's so pretty. And then it turns out. It's because there's like a fucking forest fire happening. And I'll be like. Oh but it just looks so pretty. And it's just shot so nicely. And oh it's. It's a gorgeous film. If, if you can handle pretty heavy life content, then I would definitely recommend this. In fact, I just actually just recommend it altogether. Go and watch it. Um, but watch it only once, I would say. Oh my God, it's it's incredible. Um, I can't remember if I gave it a 9 or 10 out of 10. But do you know what? You can come back and get a 10. Get a turn from me, boys. Fucking beautiful.
1: Another film to add to the perfect score list. It is, yeah.
2: Wonderful. So that's that episode forty. Done in the books. It was a it was a long one, but needed to be done. This yeah. guy is he's one of the greats out there, I think.
1: There are three very deep movies that I feel like you could probably have longer discussions about.
2: Yeah, definitely. So, that's that. Um, we've got uh, uh, episode 41. We are going to do another instalment of the One Pound marathons. So we'll basically just be uh, picking a movie each for a pound and then watching them and uh, reviewing them. We don't know what the movies are going to be yet, uh, so stay tuned for that. Well, um, I know what
1: my film is, but yeah, awesome. we'll leave a Surprise. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, stay tuned. Um And in five episodes time, we got the uh, new series review to do. We got series one, uh, or season one, of Chappelle's show. That's on Netflix. So watch that. Uh, It's coming up. Thank you so much for listening. We've also got our social medias, of course. Uh, Perhaps you're listening on YouTube and you'd know that our YouTube channel is called The Sunday Movie Marathon. Subscribe. Uh, Twitter. Is at Sunday Movie Pod. Facebook is at Sunday Movie Marathon. And Letterboxd is at Sunday MM, capital S, capital MM. Thank you for listening. Uh, It's been a week. It's been a week. Indeed, Uh, it has. Some really great movies, especially Space Jam 2. (laughs) The best. The best in the world. Come on and slam. Let's do the jam. Okay See you later
0: (laughs) I can't believe it in my own house It's Bugs Bunny Bugs fucking bunny